Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings chapter 21 today. 1 Kings 21 tells us the story of Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. It's a fascinating story. It's a troubling story. It has government overreach. It has intrigue. It has murder. It has judgment. It has mercy. So let's dig into this story and see what it has to reveal to us about God and about his judgment and about mercy and even about the brokenness that we know exists in the world. So let's look at 1 Kings 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So Naboth had a vineyard next to the palace of the king. And the king apparently set his eyes on that vineyard and thought to himself, I want that vineyard. And so he went and asked Naboth, and he said, look, I'll give you another vineyard that's better than that one, or I'll give you money, whichever you want, but I want your vineyard. And Naboth said, no. Uh, not many people are willing to tell a king no, but Naboth said no. He said, in fact, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, notice this about what Naboth says. It's not just, I don't want to sell it to you. He takes an oath, so to speak, right? The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. What, what is going on here? Well, if you have cross-references in your Bible, those little, um, little numbers, little verses, telling you other places you can look to help you understand what's going on and what you're reading, you might find references to a couple of passages, like Leviticus 25-23 and Numbers 36-7. These are the cross-references that I found. And what Leviticus 25-23 says is, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in Numbers 36, 7, it says, The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Now, in Israel, of course, the land that Israel possessed was given to them by God. And so the land itself had a special significance. And these passages are dealing with how the Israelites are supposed to treat the land, what they're supposed to do with it, what they're not supposed to do with it. Dale Ralph Davis, uh, who I've referred to multiple times uh, throughout this study, says this about this passage. He says, There was no absolute prohibition against selling the land. Under certain emergencies, an Israelite might sell land, and he notes Leviticus 25, 
And he says, but these conditions did not apply in Naboth's case. He does not seem to be suffering from any grinding poverty necessitating his selling land. If he need not sell, then he should not sell. Hence his refusal. Notice this. He treasures Yahweh's land gift passed down via his ancestors more than making bucks or placating kings. And that seems to be what's going on here. I'm not um, an expert in the rules about uh, buying and selling land in Israel, though, again, you can read about that uh, in more detail in uh, Leviticus 25 and Numbers 36 and perhaps other places as well. As well. In fact, it's into the story of Ruth a little bit. But um, again, it's, the idea is this land is his inheritance. This land is something that has been uh, passed down to him. This land is ultimately something that was given by the Lord. And Naboth refuses on principle to sell his land to the king. And Ahab's response is basically to throw a fit. I mean, that's maybe, a, a, maybe an exaggerated way to say it, but what it says is he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. It says that he was vexed and sullen, right? And this is how we left him at the end of chapter 20 also. Chapter 20, verse 40, 43, the king of Israel, it says, went to his house vexed and sullen and came to Samaria. So it, see, it sounds like... Uh, Ahab is a bit of a powder, right? That he uh, he gets sad and upset when things uh, don't go his way or when things are looking bad and he just, he can't handle it. And Ahab can't handle Naboth's response. He's so upset, he's refusing to eat food. All right, so this gets... Uh, Jezebel's attention, apparently, verse 5 says, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So Ahab is vexed. He's upset by Naboth's refusal to do what Ahab wanted him to do. And Jezebel finds out what's going on. And she's like, hey, you're the king. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll give you the land. Jezebel has a very selfish view of kingship. It's a view that doesn't surprise us in many ways, right? That somebody in power would say, if I'm in power, you have to give me what I want. We know that people approach power and authority in wicked, sinful, twisted ways. That's not surprising. Jesus told his disciples that they were not to be like the rulers of the rest of the world, that they were to be servant leaders, right? And not, um, not like, the, like the Gentile kings were, right? This, this is the way we know a lot of the world works, though it shouldn't, though it's wrong. People often use their authority, their power to get what they want, even if it hurts other people. And that's how 
Jezebel looked at things. Well, why are you pouting about not having the land? Aren't you the king? I'll get you the land. All right, so Jezebel uh, says she's going to take care of it under her you know, sinful view of kingship and leadership. And then it says, verse 8, So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. Now, let's not mince words about what's going on here. Jezebel is practicing intrigue, right? She sends these letters to the leaders in Naboth city. Um, telling them what to do, giving them her plot, her plan for putting Naboth to death. They follow it through. Naboth is falsely accused and then stoned to death uh, as a result of these false charges. Essentially, Jezebel has him murdered. She wants Naboth out of the picture. She wants him dead. And so she concocts a scenario where it looks like Naboth is being um, justly punished because of saying something sinful against the Lord, right? They claim that he cursed God and the king. And so the people put him to death on these charges, which are false. He's falsely accused by worthless men. All this is is, is Jezebel having Naboth killed to get him out of the way so Ahab can have his vineyard. So there's intrigue, there's government overreach, there's murder, there's false accusation. Uh, these are things we still deal with today. We still reckon with today because we live in a sinful, broken world with sinful, broken people in it. So that's what Jezebel does. She uses Ahab's power to put Naboth to death so Ahab can have Naboth's land. Now, if, Naoth, if Ahab were a good man and was responding righteously to this situation, when he found out what Jezebel had done, he should have refused to have anything to do with the land, right? And those who... Um, were involved in hatching this plot against Nadab, like Jezebel, should have been punished. But that's not what Ahab does. Verse 15 says, As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, 
Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Now you might say, well, does Ahab really know what happened, though? He probably knows. Even if he doesn't know the details, Jezebel just told him, you know, I'll take care of it. And then the next thing you know, Naboth is dead. Uh, it's at least fishy, if not obvious, that something is amiss, right? So unless Ahab, you know, totally missed all that, if, if he had any inkling of what was going on, right, he should have responded differently to this. But he doesn't. He just takes the land, right? Now, what is going to happen next? Let's see, verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. So God sends Elijah to Naboth to pronounce judgment against him, to say, in effect, to Ahab, what you did was wicked and you will be punished. You will suffer judgment. Now, in, um, in Dale Ralph Davis's commentary, um, he quotes a story that somebody else told. I can't remember who told the story. Um, but this person who, who originally told the story, um, I think was preaching overseas, uh, maybe in India or someplace like that, and apparently met somebody who, this was the first story they read in the Bible. And it struck them in part because um, they had grown up in a scenario where, where they were in a part of something like an, an oppressed minority, right? A, a group that was taken advantage of. And he was struck by the fact that in this story, God took the side of the weak and the oppressed and not the side of the king. And so Dale Ralph Davis relates that story um, that somebody else originally told. He relates that story in order to help us see and he points this out to help us see that um, God cares for the weak and the oppressed. And it can be easy for us to miss that if we are used to reading the Bible. And this kind of thing happens all the time. We've grown up hearing, um, you know, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, we've grown up hearing about caring for widows and orphans. But this... Uh, when you compare it to lots of other religions, as I think he was pointing out as well, um, this is very different from what you find in many other religions. It's different than what you find in many other parts of the world. And so uh, it's significant, and we should not miss the fact that God does not let Ahab get away with this. God sends Elijah to tell Ahab, you're going to suffer the consequences of this. right? And <clears throat> notice that in verse 22, well, let's pick it back up in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Ahab just does not like Elijah. Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, that is, Elijah answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Now, notice in verse 22 that it says, I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. Now, Jeroboam, you might remember, it's, it's, it's been a long time, right? but we talked about Jeroboam earlier in the book of 1 Kings. Jeroboam was exceedingly wicked. Right? And this is what God says in part about Jeroboam in chapter 15, verse 29 and 30. It says, as soon as he was king, uh, not Jeroboam, but somebody else, as soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He left to the house of Jeroboam not one that breathed until he had destroyed it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. It was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned and that he made Israel to sin, and because of the anger to which he provoked the Lord the God of Israel. So all the house of Jeroboam is wiped out, and that's what God said would happen to Jeroboam. And remember what Jeroboam was infamous for was leading Israel to idolatry through the two golden calves. And then later came another king, Baasha, who was also exceedingly wicked. And so in chapter 16, we read this, I will utterly sweep away Baasha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So the kind of thing that happened to Jeroboam is going to happen to Baasha. Later in chapter 16, it says, When he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Baasha. He did not leave him a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Baasha according to the word of the Lord which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet, for all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, which they sinned and which they made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. So this pronouncement of judgment on Ahab puts Ahab in the same category as Jeroboam and Baasha, some of the most wicked kings that Israel had had uh, and suffering some of the most uh, severe judgment that God has poured out on kings of Israel so far. Notice also that it says in verse 24, anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, which is of course disturbing, and that's why it's a judgment, right? And this same thing was said about Jeroboam and about Baasha in chapter 14, 11, anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. And about Baasha in chapter 16, verse 4, Anyone belonging to Baasha who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So this is a severe judgment pronounced against Ahab. Judgment is pronounced against Jezebel as well in verse 23. The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. So um, severe judgment just judgment, but severe judgment against Ahab and against Jezebel is pronounced. Now, we've seen how God responds to Ahab's sin. How is Ahab going to respond 
to God's judgment pronounced against him. Verse 25 says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. So you might notice in my translation, maybe it's the same in yours, that's put in parentheses. It's as though this was added in at this point to say, if you're tempted to think that the judgment God pronounced against Ahab is too severe, and against Jezebel as well, let me just remind you what they have done, what kind of people they are. They were wicked. They were evil. Ahab, it says, sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they deserve this. But then notice verse 27. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. So God delays the coming judgment on Ahab's house until the days of his son because of the way that Ahab responded to God's word of judgment. Ahab humbled himself. He responds in a very similar way to how the people of Nineveh responded when Jonah came preaching about the coming destruction of Nineveh, and they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Ahab responds similarly here, humbling himself, fasting, wearing sackcloth. He's responding rightly to the word of the Lord. This might not be what we expected Ahab to do, but Ahab humbles himself, and God is merciful, right? God delays the judgment. Now, the last thing I want to point out about this is this, and this may surprise us a little bit. I had not thought about this until studying this story this time. Doesn't this sound a lot like David? Isn't this a lot like the story of David and Bathsheba? David saw Bathsheba and took her like Naboth wanted to take, or excuse me, like Ahab wanted to take Naboth's vineyard, like Jezebel did take Naboth's vineyard. David saw Bathsheba and took her. When he found out she was pregnant, he had Uriah murdered when he couldn't cover up the pregnancy. Jezebel has Naboth murdered when there doesn't appear to be another way to get the land that Ahab wants. David sent a secret message to have Uriah killed in battle, essentially, just like Jezebel sent a secret message to have Naboth killed at a feast. And God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. And when David was confronted about his sin, he confessed his sin. And part of the consequence of um, 
David's sin or perhaps um, judgment uh, of David's sin was that the, the child that Bathsheba conceived was going to die. And so what did David do? David fasted for the child. Similar to how Ahab fasted, put on sackcloth because of the word that was pronounced against him and against his house. We don't usually think about Ahab and David being in any way similar. And there are some significant differences. David was not an idolater like Ahab was. But one of the things I was, the, um, the Davis commentary that I was reading, I don't know that he said this, but made me think of this by something else that he said. Um, we want God to be merciful like this. We should be glad that even when somebody like Ahab humbles themselves before the Lord because of their sin, when they realize the judgment they deserve, when God shows mercy to them, we should be grateful for that, even if it's someone like Ahab. Because we too have sinned against the Lord, sometimes grievously. Some of us perhaps have had seasons of our life where we set ourselves against the Lord to do evil, to do things that were sinful, that we knew God said were wrong, that were contrary to His Word. And then when the Word of judgment came against us in some way, when we recognized our sin or we recognized how severe the consequences of our sin were going to be or, or whatever it may have been, we humbled ourselves and hoped for mercy or asked for mercy and received it. We don't want to say that someone like Ahab can't ever have mercy, even if they repent. Because if that's true, what about Saul, Paul? Should he have been allowed to repent and receive mercy? What about David? David did something seriously evil. Should he have been allowed to repent and receive mercy and forgiveness? What about you and I? Should we be allowed to repent and receive mercy and forgiveness? Thank God that He is merciful. And if you are recognizing your need to repent. You've been rebellious against the Lord. You've been sinning against the Lord. You have been running the other direction. Know that there is mercy to be found in the Lord if you will humble yourself before Him and repent. Thank God for His mercy. Amen.